Well, good morning again, and uh, I want to take some time to welcome anybody who might be visiting with us for the first time. We are so thankful to have you, and I just want to say hello and officially welcome you so that you cannot leave this place without saying that somebody said hello to me. And so if this is your first time, will you just give me a friendly little wave as I wave back? First time visitor right here. Welcome her. Anybody else? Some of you are like this. I can't see that. Like, like no, I'm scared what he's going to do if he waves. Welcome, and uh, on behalf of the church, we welcome you guys, and I would love to get to know you. Shake your hand if this is your first time. We have a little gift on behalf of the leadership team here, but whether it's your first time or you call this place home, we are excited to get into God's Word this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and a sermon titled, Sins That Separate. Throughout life, we are taught to navigate and to make decisions based off things that are dangerous, that we deem dangerous. Stay away from that. That's dangerous. Look both ways before you cross the road. If you don't, that is dangerous. And uh, so life is all about decisions. And we make those decisions based oftentimes on how dangerous they are. And it's our own mind and what we learn, our own experiences that really help us navigate those decisions. For instance, I'm definitely terrified of snakes. I do not like snakes. Anybody else terrified of snakes? I will stay far, far away from them. Big ones, poisonous ones, I want nothing to do with them. But for some reason in my mind, snakes that are small are cute, right? I, I don't know what it is. I want nothing to do with big ones, but little ones in my mind, they're not dangerous. Oh, look, they're like babies. I love babies. You know, as they get old, they get dangerous, okay? But when they're little, you just pick them up, you hold them. I mean, it, it's just beautiful. And I, in my mind, put that same logic to snakes. And I've learned a very, very important lesson in that. I remember one time, several years ago, I was on a mission trip to Kentucky, and we were fellowshipping after the service. And Behind the church, there was a, a crick, uh, not to be confused with a creek, but a crick. And, uh, and, uh, and all they were down there, we're skipping rocks at the creek and all these different things. And all of a sudden, the cutest little snake was just slithering around, along. I'm like, oh, oh, little baby snake. It needs to be loved. It needs to be held. It needs to be picked up. So all of a sudden, I picked up this little snake. And it's just, all of a sudden, the guy came down. He says, Eric, put that thing down. I'm like, oh yeah, they're, they're playing me, they're punking me. No, 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 put it down immediately. Little did I know that this snake, this little cute little baby was a copperhead. And it was not only, we, I knew that copperheads were poisonous, but the little babies are more poisonous than the big ones. They don't control their venom. A big one bites me, a guy my size, I'm gonna be okay. A little one, he bites me, it might put me down. And so my mind, I, I couldn't see the danger in that. It's small, it's not big, I, it's not gonna hurt me. So life is about decisions, and as we, um, get married and we have kids, we love extracurricular activities. They say nine out of 10 uh, families involve their kids in extracurricular activities. And oftentimes we don't wanna see our kids get hurt or put them in a dangerous situation. So we make those decisions based off of danger. Sports is a very, very popular extracurricular activity that we get our kids involved in. And we don't wanna see our little babies get hurt. And so we base it off that. But oftentimes, just like my flawed thinking with the snake, we may think or deem something not to be dangerous, and it is a high, high level of danger. For instance, at the count of three, shout out what you believe to be the most dangerous sport. One, two, three. Hockey and football. Not one person said cheerleading, which happens to be the most dangerous sport. I don't make this stuff up. This is it. There are more injuries 
head to toe in cheerleading. It is the most dangerous sport. And so we sign our kids up. Oh, look at them. They're going to be boo-boo. They're not, they're not telling you the flyers are falling, hitting the ground. They're falling on top of people. The most sport that has concussions is cheerleading, not football. But we watch this and we see this. And so, and then we love football. So some people are like, oh, I would never let my kid play tackle football. My kid plays flag football. That is more dangerous than tackle football. Statistics show there's more injuries. Why? Well, you get all these little kids running around full speed with no helmet, no shoulder pads, no protective gear. All of a sudden they're running around, heads are bonked, arms are, they have no protective gear. Yeah, they're not tackling, but they're hitting each other. And so we think and deem things to be safe that might not really be safe. I heard somebody say hockey. That's a communist sport. That's not American. We're not even going to talk about, <laughs> about that. We're in the free country, hockey and soccer. We'll talk about it at a, a, di- a different time now. But, but we, I, I mean, how many of you guys were shocked that cheerleading is a very, very dangerous sport? The most. And I think at the same time, whether it's with snakes or it's with sports, we can deem those things as well with sin. And we can think that that's a very, very dangerous sin. I'm going to stay far, far away from that one. But this is a a little baby sin. But we need to understand that sin kills. Whether it's a little baby snake or cheerleading, we cannot be deceived into thinking that one sin is more dangerous than the other. Sin kills and sin separates us from God. And so we're going to spend this whole service talking about sin. It might get uncomfortable, but unfortunately this is a pulpit where we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the word of God. And sadly many churches not only avoid the topic of sin, but avoid the topic of Jesus. And this isn't going to be one of those churches. So let's jump right in to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where it says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is talking about things of eternal value here. I've had the privilege by the grace of God to travel all around the world sharing the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one thing that is very common is everyone wants to go to heaven. Everyone wants to spend eternity with God. The one thing that people are confused on, how do we get there and those types of things. But heaven is something that we all look forward to, something that we long to be and enjoy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so he says there's a group, there's these sins that will not only separate us from God, but separate us from the kingdom of God. And so the Apostle Paul starts with a question that is really tied back to his teachings on lawsuits and demanding our way that we covered a couple of weeks ago. And really it finished and it kind of came to a culmination in in verse 7 where he ended by saying, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And so there was a section of scripture where the Apostle Paul said, we're not to be suing each other and going after each other. Why not just let it go? But it's difficult, as we talked about. It's difficult to let something go when we know that we've been wronged, when we know that we are right, but our pride wants to hold on. And in our pride, roots of bitterness begins to set in. And even though we are right, it's possible to be wrong because we need to let it go. And so this is a culmination of that. And so in light of this, he asks them the question, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
he asks this question to point out and connect the behavior of demanding our way, not being willing to let something go, be wrong, and be defrauded as an unrighteous behavior. And that unrighteous behavior, it says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, having this type of attitude of holding on, demanding your way, not being willing to let go, isn't something that in our mind naturally we would consider a unrighteous behavior or a major sin. But bitterness, resentment, pride, holding on to something, not letting it go, it is a sin and it is wrong. And that's what the Apostle Paul is clearly pointing out here. And not only is it wrong, but the constant behavior and attitude of not letting go, holding on, demanding our way, will separate us from God and we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's something that we all want. But the attitude, the pride, demanding our way, I'm not willing to let go, they're wrong and I'm going to let them know it, that is sin. And sin separates us from God. In these two short verses, the Apostle Paul will point out other sins that not only will separate us from God now, but also for eternity. And so we're going to look through these one by one. But we need to understand that Paul, talking about these sins and people who are wrapped up in these sins, he wasn't referring to or describing a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this because he began by saying the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous are those who are not in a right standing with God, which believers are. But those who practice things and those who do these things are not unrighteous. They're not in a right standing of God. So he's not talking about believers. Also, we know that it should be and will be impossible for a true believer who has tasted and seen of the goodness of God to continue in sin. And we know that a couple of ways. First um, John chapter 3 speaks a little bit about that. First John 3, it'll be up on the board. First John 3. We're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10. It's on the board, page 1040, if you have the same Bible as me. Um, it, says, it says this, no one who is born of God practices sin. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're perfect, but practices. It's a habit. It's habitual. You're in bondage to it. It says no one who's born of God, no one who's born again, no one who is a true Christian practices sin. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And so we see it's very, very obvious. Those who practice and who are wrapped up in habitual sin, their works of the flesh are evidence. As believers, we desire righteousness, to live a life that's pleasing of God. It doesn't mean that we're uh, sinless, but we sin less. And we're not bound, or we shouldn't be bound or in bondage by any sin. It doesn't mean that we are sinless. But those who are of the flesh, who are not of God, they have no problem practicing sin. Not only do they practice sin, they are in bondage to sin. And so we see the stark difference between one who is born of God and one who is not. And really, the key element is practice in, practices sin. We see people. We know family members. We know friends. We know loved ones who we see who just practice sin like it's their job. And it's so grieving. Because not only does it separate them from God now, well, for eternity. And that's not the life or the heart of a believer. Romans 6.1 talks a little about this. We know that a believer can't continue in sin. The 
Apostle Paul in Romans 6.1 wrote, shall we continue in sin so that grace should abound more? He said, certainly not. Any believer who takes sin lightly is in a dangerous, dangerous place. When you talk to a brother or sister in Christ and you begin to confront or hold them accountable to sin, oh, I'm saved by grace. That is the wrong answer. They should be grieved over their sin. They realize the price that Jesus paid, and so they should not want to sin any longer. And so he's not talking to believers here. I love the Apostle Paul's reminder and his exhortation at the end of verse 9 where he says, Do not be deceived. Look at your neighbor and say, do not be deceived. Now look at your other neighbor and say, do not be deceived. Because we do not want to be deceived. This is a conversation the Apostle Paul had often with believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, I believe that too many people are deceived. Deceived with sin. Very much like I had these own deceptions, these own blind spots in my mind. Thinking that this little snake is okay to play with. To thinking that maybe... Football is the most dangerous sport. And I was wrong in that. I was completely deceived into thinking something that was not true. And sadly, many people, believers and unbelievers alike, are thinking that their actions are okay. They're deceived into thinking that their sin is okay for a couple of reasons. One, thinking that God doesn't care or that God doesn't see. We hear preaching from the pulpit about holiness and righteousness and living a life that's pleasing to God. But we, we sin and we think, oh, Maybe God doesn't see. Maybe, maybe God doesn't care. Maybe it's not that serious in God's eyes. I know what the scriptures say. I know what the pastor preaches. But I've been doing this every so often, practicing this, practicing this every so often, and everything seems to be okay. That's a deception from the enemy. God sees and God cares, but God is a loving God whose heart is that you would repent and that you would turn away from your sin and be free. So many people sadly are deceived. And so let's take an honest look at these sins that separate us from God, making sure that we don't have any blind spots, making sure that we are not deceived in any way. As we see in verse 9, the list begins with fornicators and adulterers. And it says that these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul separates these two groups of people or these two sins. We have fornicators and adulterers. Now, these two sins are very, very closely connected with the only difference being that fornicators are those who are having sex outside of marriage, while adulterers are those who are married but going outside. They're being unfaithful to their spouse and having sex outside of marriage. And so very, very close, but one group is married and one group is single. And it says, those who practice fornication, those who practice adultery, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I think we have to really reference back to that idea of do not be deceived. Because sadly, we live in a world that this type of behavior, that this type of attitude, we have become numb to it. We see it on TV. We hear about it. We know about it. It's rampant. And if we're not careful, we can be deceived to think that that is okay. Brothers and sisters, it's not okay. It's not okay. We don't care what the world says. We don't care what the deception of the enemy says. It's okay to fornicate and to sleep with each other. After all, you're engaged. You're going to get married. Or you're in a, a, a relationship. You're not just out sleeping around. You said you love her. You guys are married in God's eyes. Adultery. Sadly, there's people who 
justify it by saying things like, well, my spouse is abusive and my spouse doesn't love me and my spouse doesn't fulfill me. And so I think that it's all right if I go outside the marriage to be happy. These are deceptions of the enemy. Fornicators, adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Both of these sins are very, very immoral. And the Apostle Paul's exhortation at the end of this chapter in verse 18 where he says, flee immorality. These are sins that we should run far, far from. A practical illustration is Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He wanted to live a life that was so pleasing to God. Potiphar's wife came on to him and he ran, literally ran from sin. And that is what we need to have the same attitude. If I'd have known the danger of that little snake, I would have ran like I heard a rattlesnake on a path. But I didn't think it was dangerous. And sadly, too many people in the church, outside the church, think that fornication and think that adultery is not dangerous. It is a sin, and the practice of that sin will separate you from God. And I don't think anybody here wants to be separated. I haven't met one person in my whole life that says, I want to spend eternity separated from God. And so these are sins that will. The next sin that we see in the group that he mentions here is idolaters. Idol worship was something that was a major, major problem in Corinth and something that he spoke and dealt with them very, very often. We will cover 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this Wednesday. He dealt with idolatry two times there, once here, and several other times in his writing to the church in Corinth. It was a major, major problem. But we know that idol worship wasn't just a problem then or in Corinth, or in Rome at this time, it is equally a problem today. It is live and a well today here in America, in our lives, in Orange County. It's, it's a problem. Simply put, idolatry is anything that we worship or put in front of God. That is idolatry. That is idol worship. We can't be deceived into thinking, oh, I'm not bowing down to some statue. I'm not praying to some God made with, you know, human hands. That isn't just what idolatry is about. It's anything that we worship, that we place worth in, and that we put in front of God. And it isn't always a bad thing until it is. And that's the tricky thing about idolatry. Oftentimes, idols can set up in our life that are good. I talk to a lot of men and women at times who are focused on providing for their family and climbing the corporate ladder. But what happens is in that pursuit to provide for their family, their job becomes an idol. And they put their family aside and they begin to worship mammon without them even knowing, I gotta make more money, I gotta get a bigger house, I gotta take care of this. And it's a good thing, those things are right, but God says, seek me first, my kingdom and my righteousness and all things will be added unto us. It can be hobbies, things that we like, things that we enjoy. And those things that we like and those things that we enjoy that God bless us with, all of a sudden that becomes an idol. And we put it in front of God and we put it in front of things that are the utmost importance. And sadly, many people have idols in their life and they have no clue. They're deceived. And so thinking, that, that's okay. This is a good thing. This is good. I need to work. I need to do this. I need to do that. But what they're doing is they're worshiping and placing worth and putting things in front of God and says that practice will not inherit the kingdom of God. The last sins in the group that he mentions here in verse 9 are effeminates and homosexuals. 
very, very hot topic and a very, very controversial topic in the world that we live in. These two words in the Greek both refer to the exchange and the, cor- and the corruption of the normal male-female roles and husband-wife sexual relationships. And these two words between them, they cover everything. Things from sex changes and cross-dressing and same-sex relationships, same-sex act of prostitution, which ran rampant in Corinth. It was a huge, huge problem. And all other unnatural perversions, everything is covered in this. And the Bible is very, very clear that this is a sin. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 1. If you would turn there, Romans 1, it'll be on the board actually. Romans 1 verses 26 through 27 says this, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural, that which God designed from the very beginning, husband and wife, man and woman, these roles that God established. It says they changed the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The Apostle Paul talked about what happens with a depraved mind and a mind that is given over to the flesh. Unnatural things begin to happen. Sinful things begin to happen. Women burning in lust for women and men for men. And this is clearly a sin. The Bible clearly states that. And although the Bible clearly states that, it's also important that we understand in our mind that we're not deceived into thinking that this is a sin that is any dangerous in any other sin. From holding on to things, to lying, to stealing, this is a sin that separates us from God. But in our minds, in the Christian church, this is a gross, gross sin. And this is of the highest sin in many Christians' eyes. And that shouldn't be the case. We know brothers and sisters in the church. We know people in the church that are fornicating man with woman, but we don't attack that with the same fervor and passion that we attack homosexuality, and that is wrong. Sin is sin, and God desires holiness. And I think because of that, homosexuals have got the idea, those who struggle with this, they have gotten the idea that Christians hate them, and there's so many, sadly, people who might struggle with this from time to time who don't want to open up because of the shame that the church has placed in this sin. I got guys from time to time who come in and have no problem confessing and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. And they say that, and, and for whatever reason, it's not handled the same way that, hey, I have a relationship, a same-sex relationship. That's taboo. That's wrong. And remember, sin is sin. Whether it's a big copperhead or a little copperhead, it will kill and it will separate us from God. And so sadly, we're living in a time where many people are deceived into thinking that these sins are okay. The society says that. The world tells us that, contrary to what the Bible teaches. I've even heard things like this. The Bible is outdated. The Bible misses the mark having to do with this topic. Back then, thousands of years ago, they weren't really educated, and they don't know what we know now having to do with this specific sin, and that is a deception, and it is wrong, because this sin was as rampant then as it is now, and this was something that the Apostle Paul understood and was a common practice in his day. Even writing this letter, homosexuality was running rampant in Corinth. Second 
history will tell you alone that 14 of the first 15 emperors in Rome were homosexual. Even the current one and the most feared of them all, Caesar Nero, was homosexual. History tells us that he actually castrated a young boy and married him, making him his wife. This was the leader, Nero, of the time. And so this was something that the Apostle Paul understood. And the Bible is the same today, yesterday, and forever. It's not outdated. It didn't miss the mark. Sin is sin, and sin separates us from God. Many historians will actually point to these sins as a major part in the destruction and that which the breakdown of the Roman Empire. And this is a sin that we have to pray for those who are wrapped up in this because the enemy has used this for ages to attack God's design for family and for marriage. As we look down to verse 10, we see the first sin in the group that he points out is thieves, which we know it just describes a person who takes something that isn't theirs. Again, no matter how small, how big, those who practice these things, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Next, Paul mentions covetousness. Now, this is another sin that we have to be really, really careful with and careful of to not get deceived by. Because I think it's easy naturally to elevate certain sins and downplay the danger of others. And I think this is one. But we must remember that every single list in the New Testament that talks about sins that will separate you from God and that you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven, this little sin, covetousness, makes the list. Covetousness? desiring, wanting, and that's what it is. It defines a person as a strong fleshly desire to obtain and to want things, things of the world, things that aren't good. And they really would obtain these things by any means necessary. This sin, covetousness, is closely connected and translated other places with greed, just wanting and wanting and wanting. To see a practical illustration, we're going to take a field trip over to the nursery. Let's go take a look real quick. You could, <laughs> you could go look at the nursery, those little babies. They're so cute. You put some toys out, one little baby's happy and satisfied, playing with a toy. All of a sudden, the baby looks over at another baby. And they could be playing with a water bottle. I want that. The little baby will go over there and snatch that little thing, and it'll just, it'll hoard these toys. I want that. I want what you have. They're not satisfied, not content with the toy that they have, even though it's great, even though it's amazing, even though it's what they wanted, what they desired, until they see something else that somebody else has, and all of a sudden, I want that. I want that bad. And that's what this sin does. And it's something that we have to be on guard with, and understand that it is serious. The next we see drunkards. Historically in church or maybe growing up, you might have heard that drinking like smoking or watching TV will condemn you to hell. <laughs> I was, um, or that dancing makes what? Babies. I, I tell you what, my grandma grew up in the South and I just tell you that, I heard that all the time. You're going to a dance? Be careful. What do you mean I'm just gonna go dance? Dancing makes babies, Eric. It's a big jump, Grandma. It's, it's a big jump. Okay. You know, but growing up in a little country, a little city called Cottonwood, Alabama, that's what they taught. The TV came out, and they were condemning those TVs to hell. That's the devil. You put that TV away. Little kids were sneaking away watching TV because, man, it was a, it was a sin. Smoking? Oh, my goodness. Smoking cigarettes? 
drinking. Now, we know that these things aren't sin in and of themselves. The Bible doesn't teach that drinking or watching TV or smoking, but it does teach that dancing is a sin. No, I'm just kidding. But it doesn't teach that any of these things are sin in and of themselves. It's, it's not what the Bible teaches. But with regard specifically here to drinking, where the sin and the condemnation lies in the excessive consumption of alcohol to the point of, to the point of drunkenness. That's what the Bible condemns, and that's what the Bible says is a sin. A drunkard would be one who is addicted in bondage and abuses alcohol. Doesn't drink just, you know, for whatever reason, other than just to get drunk and to numb themselves and just to not deal with life, addicted and abused and in bondage to alcohol. That is what the Bible says is an absolute sin. And that drinking, which we have the freedom to, it's a fine line because those freedoms could very easily get us in bondage and lead us to practicing and becoming separated from God. The last two sins and groups that he mentions here are revilers and swindlers. A reviler is dangerous. A reviler is one who uses their speech in their mouth in an attempt to tear down and destroy others. And they can use it and guise it and mask it in many different ways. But if we really open our eyes, this has become something that we can't be deceived in. We don't want to talk about anyone. We don't want because the words of our mouth are poison. And we can, without us even knowing or intentionally knowing, we can begin to poison other people to others and just breaking down. And it's, it's amazing how, how the effect that it can have on people and it can look on people and it grieves people to the point where they're, they're sad and they're stumbled. I remember this one time, there was this, there was a sweet, sweet man who was going to the church. And this is actually a testimony of God's faithfulness. I've been walking with the Lord so long. He, not, not a lot of people know my struggles in the past. And he met this guy. He goes, oh, you go to church with Pastor Eric. Man, God really done a work. You know, he used to be a drug addict. You know, he used to be this, that, and the other. And the guy got mad. He said, don't talk about my pastor like that. He never done drugs. <laughs> and he was, he came to me, he said, you won't believe what this guy was saying about you. And I'm like, what? I've heard it all. What? He said, man, he said, you were in the world and you were drinking and you were smoking and you were doing all these different evil things. I said, yeah, that, that used to be the old life. That was me. But that was true. But there's also things that people say to poison that aren't true, that tear down people. And we can say, oh, let me, let me just warn you. Hey, let me pray. Whatever it may be, we've got to be really careful with our mouth, the tongue. It's dangerous. And reviling, spewing poison about other people, gossip, slander, this is a sin that separates us from God. Could you imagine, just for a moment, living a great life, never doing any of these sins, but only slandering people, reviling people, and spend eternity and separated from God, that would be such a deception to us. Well, I never fornicated. I never cheated on my wife. I, I never took part in any homosexual activity. All I did was, yeah, I talked about people a little bit. They deserved it, though. Spending eternity in hell because of that. How sad. How grieving. Swindlers. Depending on your translation, it could be extortioners. And these are those people who take advantage and attempt to gain and take advantage of others for their own personal gain. And so he closes verse 10 again by mentioning that those who practice these sins will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, it's important for us as believers to know he wasn't talking about us, and he's not talking about a casual slip up here every now and then. But 
one whose life is characterized and described by one or more of these sins in bondage to, that is who he's referring to. And before we move on, I think it's important to remember and to reflect upon the exhortation in the beginning, do not be deceived. As believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was my heart to share this message that we might not be deceived, that we might not have any blind spots in our own lives thinking that some of these things are okay or downplaying some of these things. God says, be holy as I am holy. We should want nothing to do with any of these things. And it says, do not be deceived. Why are we going to remember that? Why are we going to ponder that? Because sadly, too many people think that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and that they are still in a good standing with God. And that is not the case. Do not be deceived, he says here. In his letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. The Lord is not mocked. For whatever we sow, that shall we also reap. The doctrine of reaping and sowing. If you go out and you plant an apple tree in a short amount of time, over a period of time, an apple tree is going to grow. And if you continue to sow to the flesh, if you continue to practice these things. Do not be deceived. The Lord's not mocked. He sees, he knows, and he cares. So if we're struggling or have any blind spots with any of these areas, we need to repent. Verse 11 says this, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our Lord Paul closes this section by reminding the Corinthians and us where we came from. After he gets done listing these sins, he says, such were some of you. Isn't that good to know as we look through those lists? Man, knowing that that's where we were. And that's where we came from. Praise God, such were some of us. But it must be past tense. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I can't say such were. It's not past tense. I'm still wrapped up in that. I'm still in bondage to that. That's a dangerous place to be. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he would tell them later, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There's a newness of life when we become in Christ. And we flee from these things. Those things don't bind us and they're not, we're not bound to them anymore. That's how we used to act. That's how we used to live. That's how we used to walk. That's how we used to talk. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but that we're free and we're different than what we used to be. And if you're here today, we should be able to say that in all honesty. Look at this list and say, man, I remember when I was in bondage to that sin. Maybe it wasn't listed there. Go ahead and shout out the sin that used to be. In, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. If it wasn't there, that's okay. Sin is sin. And you should be able to say, man, that's the way. I used to be in bondage to that. A slave to that. Such were some of you. Such were I, but no longer. And we can rejoice in that freedom. Why? Because of those things that he says, we've been washed, we've been sanctified, and we've been justified. Washed, it's a reference to being washed by the blood of the Lamb, being born again, being forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've confessed, and he's forgiven and cleansed us of all unrighteousness for those who are in Christ. It says we've been sanctified. That's a reminder of the continual cleansing by the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like him every single day. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous in God's eyes. An easy way to remember the definition of justified, it's just if I'd never sinned. 
That's the way I used to be. Now God sees me just as I've never sinned. He's sanctifying me on a daily basis. As I get closer and closer to him, I become more and more like him. And I'm washed and I'm cleansed. I don't have to live that life no more. And so in closing, let's not elevate some sin and downplay others because all sin is dangerous and it separates us from God. And let's often pray and let's search our heart, asking God if we're deceived in any way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. There's, as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Lord, we get to know you and get to grow in you more. And in studies like this, it might not be comfortable, Lord, but we are so thankful your desire for us is holiness, to be pure as you are pure. And that's what we want, God. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would understand, that we would see clearly, that you would remove any deception, any blinders that we have, that we'd be able to see sin for what it is, and it's dangerous, and it kills, and we want nothing to do with it, God. Lord, reveal. Search our heart. Lord, see if there's any ways that we might be deceived into thinking that a certain area of sin is okay. We don't want to fall into that, God, because we know that practice the continual practice and bondage of sin separates us from you. We don't want to be separated from you now or for eternity, God. And so, Lord, help us, show us, pull us close to you. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can look back and say, that's how we used to be. But we've been justified, sanctified, and washed by you. We love you, Lord, and it's your name we pray. Amen. As we talked about today, the even the the title of this sermon is Sin That Separates. And if you're here today, you need to know, if you already know, you need to be reminded that God doesn't want to be separated from us at all. And so if you're here and you are separated from God, God wants you to be able to say, such was I. That's how I used to be until God set me free. And today you can be free. Today you can really grab a hold of that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. God wants to make you new today. And that newness starts with being born again. Because if you're separated from Christ, if you're not in Christ, then you're dead. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses, but God wants to make you alive. But the choice is yours today. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to remove the barrier that separates you from God today? The price has already been paid on the cross, and today you can be washed. And today you can be justified by receiving the free gift of salvation. Jesus says, for as many that received me, I've given them the right to become a child of God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can become a child of God by receiving him by faith. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here this morning, and you know you're not free. You know you're in bondage. You know that you are practicing sin. And you heard today that practice of such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you want to have a relationship with God now and for eternity. And you're ready to receive the forgiveness that is in him. Today is the day. I'm going to encourage you just to stand right now so I can pray with you and for you. Go ahead and stand if you want to receive Christ. God bless you guys. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back. God bless you.
If you feel comfortable, I'd ask you to remain standing. The reason I ask you to stand is Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father. So by standing, you're saying, I'm done. I'm waving a white flag. I'm surrendering my life to you. Is there anybody else? It says, today's the day. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Those of you who are standing, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me, but it's not about the prayer, the words. It's about the condition of your heart that says, I'm done. I'm done. I want to be free, and I want to live for you. And so you can pray this prayer, whether you're here, watching online, or in the fellowship hall. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. If you said that prayer today, we would love to pray with you, encourage you, answer any questions you may have. There's a, a card in the pouch in front of you. Take some time to fill it out. We'll reach out or you can stop by the prayer room. We'll give you a Bible, some things that will help you out on your journey with Christ. And if you need a touch from the Lord, you can stop by the prayer room as well. And so God bless you guys. I pray that you have a great week. And next week we're going to talk nothing more than about the love of God because that was heavy. God bless you guys. Let's stand for our final song.